Welcome to the Recruitment Mentors podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Kane Webster, who is the sales director for Bright Purple, who are a specialist tech and business change consultancy that work with businesses across Scotland, the UK and beyond. Kane started his recruitment career in 2013 after having a stint in hospitality as a restaurant supervisor. But over the last nine years, he has taken his recruitment career from resourcer to team lead to principal to sales manager. And for the last two years, he's now been the sales director for Bright Purple. So he now has an oversight of the entire sales floor. He's responsible for driving the Bright Purple culture and standards across these teams and has a real active role in helping the business go to the next level and really involved in hiring exceptional talent to join the company. So Kane, thanks for uh, joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to this one. As I said, I think you might be the second Scott that I've had on the podcast. I have deliberately wore a tartan shirt for you. <laughs> yeah, for those of you who can't see, Kane has got a nice tartan shirt on there. Scottish and proud. Absolutely love it. So where we like to start on this podcast, Kane, is the million pound question. Yeah. So what I would love to hear from you with your sort of nine years context and experience so far, like what characteristics and traits do you think make up a highly successful recruitment consultant in, in today's market, do you feel? Yeah, today's market is probably a valuable snippet there because it's definitely changed a little bit. Changed, yeah. Yeah, innovative for today's market, I would say. Ability to adapt to new technologies. It's a running joke in Break Purple that I'm a technophobe. I run a... An, yeah, we've had some issues here, haven't we? Yeah, we've had some issues here. Yeah. <laughs> I run an IT recruitment agency as, as a sales director and I had a Nokia 3310 until last year and then I realised... Wow. I know. And then I realised when I got my smartphone just how behind the times I was. So being committed to that kind of ever-changing landscape as a recruiter, I mean, LinkedIn is key. Yeah. Embracing all these new technological advances and, and not being left behind is key as well. There's so many new tools, software tools you can be using. So we try out two or three new kind of software packages every year. Two don't work, one do, and we take that forward with us. So so always being open to change is really, really key. But for, for people starting a career out, I would say it's the obvious one. It's perseverance. This idea that you can join and build 100K or, or make earn 100K even. Building 100K is hard enough in your first year. Um, so to earn 100K in your first year, anyone that's done that, hats off to them. I've not met them. So perseverance, understanding that it's a journey, not a, a quick fix or a quick win. It really is a journey in recruitment. You, you have to learn your stripes. You can't be told all the answers. You've really got to learn through hard work and mistakes what the answers are and what the process is like. So perseverance is definitely my biggest advice to people. Adopting and not being scared of new technology is my other advice. We use totally different platforms from what we did only eight, nine years ago. Definitely. Yeah, nice. So yeah, innovative, being open-minded, open to change, yeah. adaptable, and as you said, perseverance. Okay, so what we're going to unpack here is, is your nine-year journey. Right. So it probably feels like a whole big blur to you, right? Probably last 18 months feel like a bit of a blur. It definitely does for me, let alone the last whole nine years. So I guess where I just want to start then is just to think about the beginning, like how I think there's always an interesting story, just really quickly, like how the hell did you end up? Did you end up serving some recruiters in the restaurant? And like, what what's the story going from hospitality to getting your job at Bright Purple? Well, 
I must be the only person I know that actively tried to get into recruitment and found it hard. I had four interviews that I was rejected from. I think my first one was with Michael Page and I got to the final stage and I was rejected. And then I tried Hydrogen Group in Edinburgh, got rejected. Hayes got rejected. Robert Half. Why did you get rejected? The first... Did you get feedback? Did you get candidate feedback? Yeah, the first feedback was that was, um, this is genuinely the feedback that I was too fluffy um, and too nice. Too that fluffy, was, wow. Yeah, that was one of the feedback. The other one was that I didn't have any experience. Shock horror. I had no experience. Shock, yeah. Um, I feel like always, that's a bit of a fub off though, isn't it? Yeah, it's exactly that. <laughs> one of them, I won't, I won't name names. I don't like to throw people under the bus. One of them actually said that he'd like to offer me, but he'd like me to go get experience elsewhere first so I'd get trained for free, which I thought wow. was, that was quite cheeky of them, actually. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. I, I obviously didn't call them back. They, they... So Bright Purple was the one go, yeah, okay, we're going to give you a chance. They were the first one to give me a chance. Yeah, I started out as an entry level resourcer. I had a really, really tough start to my career. I didn't do a deal in four months, I think. Really? And I was working harder and later than anybody. I was doing all the things you need to do. But I just, I couldn't get a break. I had 10 final stage interviews fall flat on their face. I'll never forget it. Oh my God. Yeah, 10 in a row. I'm not making this up. 10 in a row? Yeah, 10. Right, let's talk about this then. So you wanted to get into recruitment. Let's just get straight to this because I think this would be really helpful for people. Why didn't you quit? Well, I was lucky enough. I was working in the restaurant trade and I was, I graduated in 2008. Okay. So that was the end of Boom and Bus, Gordon Brown said. I graduated in the middle yeah. of a recession. So I went traveling um, for five years and, and worked in bars and restaurants. And I thought I was making quite good money, if I'm being honest with you. And I felt quite good about myself. Yeah. And then one of my friends, Michael Court, he was working in recruitment and he, his career was really taken off and he was really, really young. And I remember always looking up to him and thinking, wow, you're doing, you're doing so good. Like, like for, for the age where I remember mid mid twenties and you're already like running teams of people and yeah, yeah. big deals and and it was attractive to me. I'll be honest, I, I was quite I was quite proud of him as a friend. Yeah, yeah. So I knew long term if I stuck it out, I could be like him. Is the sure. real truth. So I kept going and I kept going and I kept going. And when I was having these ten rejections at final stage offers, I knew I was doing something right because I was getting I was hitting my cake. You're getting to that part. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was falling over the final hurdle. And 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 you know sometimes the candidate was rejecting it. Sometimes the client was changing the job spec. And when you're new, you don't get the the hottest or the or the coolest roles. So to get ten final stages, even though I didn't get a deal in my first four months, to get ten final stages with the hardest roles in the company, that is a reality for, for people starting out in their career. They get given they get given the kind of cut your teeth roles, the kind of cut your teeth accounts. And <laughs> oh, I wouldn't, wouldn't hope that's the case now. It's not the case. It's not bright purple, definitely not. But in my, in my experience, yeah, yeah. When, when I joined, then bright purple's obviously bright purple's been for like, yeah, I have these. Yeah, yeah, of course, course. Every agency goes through a journey. So yeah. I was learning my trade, and I knew I. I I knew I was doing something right because I was I was getting meeting all my KPIs. I was getting interviews, and then in month five and six, I, I think I was a top kind of performer in months five and six. I'd, I'd done like a quarter's target in a month, in month five, and a quarter's really, month, yeah. a month, month six. Start to click. I started to sign my own clients as well. I, I was cut loose as a resourcer. They kind of said, um, "Do you know what? You're a great resourcer, but you're not hitting the back of the net, so to speak. So why don't you go try and win your own clients and see if that changes things and, and own the relationships? But you need to go win your own, and, and I did. I did it straight away, and that that was the real change point for me yeah, yeah when I was allowed to be myself and not kind of read from a script as much and actually be myself but the reason I didn't quit is I had examples of, of my friends who, who were successful. I could see people in the company like my, my mentor, Craig Fraser, who was having great success in the company. So I, I knew you could be successful at recruitment and I was seeing other people doing it and I wasn't doing much different than them. I wasn't doing much different than them. Right, okay. So yeah, yeah. I, I put down to bad luck and just kept, I don't know, reassuring yeah. myself. <laughs> so just uh, let me know if, because thinking like there might be people listening right now that might be experiencing or going through what you're talking about. Yeah. Hopefully it's not 10 in a row because that's fucking oh. savage. <laughs> Obviously it seems like 
owning the client relationship had an impact. But if we were to just think now, like anything else that you think, like, oh, if I did, if I focus on this more or whatever, what was it that you think enabled you not to hit the back of the net that could help people listen to this, hopefully hit the back of the net? Totally. Well, I put clients on a pedestal initially. So I working on clients, I treated them different than candidates. And it took me a long time to realise candidates Clients are just candidates in a different kind of guise, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I stopped writing the long-winded emails and just being really direct and answering their questions, I found I got a lot more replies and feedback from clients when I was emailing them directly. Spotting trends and patterns. Before, I'd be given a role and I'd work it and I'd get two CVs over and the client would say, oh, more CVs. And I'd go, oh, okay. And I'd feel really good and I'd get more. Yeah, it's be a bit of an order, order taker. Yeah, just... exactly. I was an order taker and, and I felt, I looked busy and I was busy and I felt busy and I felt like I was delivering because I was hitting my KPIs but I wasn't really results I wasn't hitting res- I wasn't getting mm. deals over the line or placing people into jobs I was just hitting KPIs and getting CVs and the client the clients were happy they were like oh we've got nine CVs for this job great and then I slowly realised Kane, why are you sending um, nine CVs for a job why if you've sent two really good CVs for a perm tech role which are hard to find and the client's not coming back with interview availability or buying signs why do I keep working that role so I started to I started to treat clients how they were treating me so if a client was good with me and giving me all the information and, and moving fast then I would I would stick with them but if a client was becoming a bit of a black hole if that makes sense or kept delaying interviews then I'd focus my attentions elsewhere so it took me three or four months to realise that just because a client asks you to work the role doesn't mean you have to if a client asks you to work the role but is behaving in a way that isn't you know good for the candidate yeah you're not working with committed clients yeah exactly that so I started to grade my clients and then I was really committed at the job I, I was really really committed at the job yeah, yeah, yeah I had this mentality of work I was working like half eight till seven p.m. every night my mentality was putting the hard yards early and that way you'll progress your career quicker. So I knew I was doing all the right things and I knew I was given 110%. I was given and I was getting better each day. So I started to realise that the clients that I worked with, I could kind of be a bit more selective with. And if they weren't giving me good feedback... You valued your time. You valued your time. Time, exactly that. Whereas when you start your journey in recruitment, you definitely have this idea that the client is here, you are here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're an order taker. And the client says they're happy, great. But at the end of the day, my boss wasn't because my boss was going, well, how many lives have you changed? How many people yeah. have you actually placed? It's all very well sending free CVs and writing free great cover letters and knowing their dog's name. But if the client's not giving you feedback on the CV, and what are you going to do today? You're going to keep working that role, are you, Kane? And I'd be like, yeah. And they'd be like, well, come on, think, think for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So penny kind of okay. dropped. The penny kind of dropped a lot. Yeah. Nice. I love that. So plenty of things to take away there. So just to frame this up. So today, right now. Yeah. How many people are you responsible for? How many people do you manage or do you have direct reports from? Just let's just frame it where you are today. I've got four people that are reporting to me and under those four people there is... Oh no, I've got five people that are reporting to me, sorry. Uh, I, won't, okay. I won't tell you who I forgot. And underneath <laughs> there is about 15. So probably about, okay. I'm probably responsible for about 20 people overall, but five that report into me who manage 15. So yeah, yeah. So you, the role that you're in now, as I said in the introduction, like, so you're, part of your role is to get the most out of your leaders. And so you're now in a position where you're, you're giving the leaders the support. And then I guess part of your role will also be offering support to the wider team. Yeah. But your obviously first part is making sure like the five leaders getting everything that they need, support that they, they need, all of that, right? And then you're also now involved in business decisions and where the business is going as well, right? Spot on. In theory, I should only have five people contacting me, but the reality is that's not true. I probably have 20 people. I probably 
touch base with all 20 on a daily basis almost yeah yeah, okay. yeah it's good like I've, I've been doing with the same company nine years like yeah it's amazing yeah yeah i think it's great so that that's where it is today so like let, let's sort of un, unpack some of the sort of i guess key milestones right and and this so from yeah. what from what I can see on LinkedIn, obviously first two years, it seemed like you was just like an individual contributor. All you had to worry about was just getting the most out of your clients, doing deals, all of that. Yeah. Is that right? Oh, yeah, 100%. Cool, cool. On a journey. And then and then after that, was you then always in some sort of like billing leadership type of role? Yeah, I went straight. I worked in a permanent team and I'd recommend anyone. Okay. Any, anyone that starts their career, it's very hard to learn this career in a contract desk. So I worked in a permanent team under Craig Fraser and then um, I moved into a contract desk after year one under a Tony Summers. And then that gave me the ability to both business develop because in Perm there's a lot of business development and it gave me the ability yeah. to work, work very, very fast because contract is very, very fast. So initially mm. I started out kind of just, just a lone wolf going out winning my own clients, servicing them, kind of mid-level. Yeah. And then I, I went straight into a team leader role because the business needed it. The business had a bit of turbulence in my second second year we had a lot of levers because i think they went and started their own company elephant oh wow yeah yeah the other company didn't work out but it is what it is they were, they were good people it just didn't work out for them but it left a, a big opportunity for me so when a lot of the business left i thought well they, they offered me to leave with them I, I won't pretend they didn't but at the same time i was like well why would i i mean you guys are leaving yeah, yeah. and there's going to be a big boots to fill yeah it's a good opportunity for you yeah great and that's the other advice i give to people people say it's luck and time in recruitment it really really is but it's the perseverance to stick around for when that luck comes along if you present those opportunities yeah, yeah. so when when that opportunity presented itself i i stepped into it and and i let my personality really come through and I, and I put my heart and soul into it really so then, since then you've been in a leadership position been in a leadership position after year two and a, two and a half years roughly mm. yeah, after two and a half years I went into a leadership position but like I say that was um, luck and timing and it was very very hard because I, I went into a leadership position with not much mentoring originally because a lot of good people or senior people had left but again I was thrown in the deep end and I swam very, very hard and very, very fast for very, very long. And eventually I learned everything you had to learn on the job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. Yeah, well, so we're going to dive into that. So right now and throughout that period, have you always been doing deals at some point or are you like really far attached on that? Well, that, that's um, a running joke in the business. I fought really? for years to be as hands-on as I could, okay? So when I got made sales manager, I've never asked for a promotion, really. I've never asked for one. And uh, I've actually turned them down and then been asked to do them further down the line and agreed because I thought, okay, yeah, you're right. I, I should probably do this. They asked me to be sales manager first time. I said no. And then six months later, I said, okay, I'll, I'll do this, but I don't want to lose my hands-on capability. So I put in my title, hands-on sales manager. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Why didn't you want to lose it? Are you scared of like not being current? Would you like, did, is it because you enjoyed that part of the job? Well, coming through in my career, there was a lot of middle management and recruitment and there's a lot of people that look busy that aren't really speaking to candidates or signing clients and in the sales floor. And I never really had a lot of respect for that. Talk about okay. I always liked people that were hands-on, winning clients or finding candidates. or Leading by example. Yeah, leading by example, exactly that. So I fought for as long as I possibly could to stay co-face, doing the 360 job for as long as I could. But roundabout, when I became sales director, it was very, very hard to do the candidate side because I'd come in and the morning and someone was sick or someone was pregnant or, or someone was um, you know someone hadn't turned up for work or someone had um, an issue with a client or we were low on contract roles so I had to go in business develop or the parent yeah. was low so we had to go in parent business so it wasn't through choice I went away from the hands-on side and that 
that hands-on sales manager became a bit of a joke in the team because I started doing the client side and the hiring of staff and, and moving away from the candidate side. So to this day, they, they still kind of, they, they still flag that as kind of a, a jest, shall we say. So it's quite funny you mentioned that. But yeah, now, okay. now my job, I've moved away from the candidate side a lot. If a candidate comes to me that's right for a job, I'll know because I know the market really, really well. I'll know if they're right, but I hand it over. Yeah, yeah, cool. But you still might... Still might get involved in like strategic business development or supporting the the teams on that side on the account development and stuff like that. I'm still very hands on in account development and um, business okay. development. So what I do now is I go and when I hire somebody, I tend to give them you know six months no real target because we're we're a bit more we're a bit more forgiving at Bright Purple. So I give them six months to get up and running. After month four, if they're a trainee consultant, I within the four months they've joined, we'll usually sign, you know, 10 clients and, or something silly like that, a, a large number. And then I take those clients and then I, I account develop with them as a mm. resource and I CC them in and then I slowly CC myself out and let them run the account. So I, I do that on repeat now. So I just build desks on repeat for business development. That's what I do. I go out and I elephant hunt, I SME, I win spot business and then I bring in consultants and I slowly phase myself out of the process and then go do it for okay. somebody else. That that's what I think a sales director should be doing. On the strategic level, the strategic level is easy. I mean it's not it's not very hard. There's not a lot of rocket science behind recruitment agencies whether I know people like to make it complicated, but it really isn't that complicated. But yeah, I'm I'm involved in all the key decisions, all the strategy, but the strategy is really, really simple. We want to grow our we want to grow our contract book. We want to increase our, our parent placements. We want to win more clients and we want to send more CVs. Best way for me to do that as sales director is win more clients and hire more staff so the strategy is fairly set out from the start let's unpack this then so what we will go over is your leadership journey because i think that's a really common challenge for people and then we'll talk a bit about the business strategy or whatever because i do feel like there's a bit more to it than what you just said <laughs> but i get i get i get your point i get your point entirely but what i just wanted to focus on very quickly is you sort of saying you building up desks for people and, and doing that on repeat right so a lot of people listen to this may have come into the recruitment industry in the last couple of years and obviously it's quite typical for them to start on the candidate side and then start transitioning into the 360 wherever it is right in terms of winning your own clients building your niche getting known all of that and that can be a really difficult transition for people which is why it makes sense that if you can support someone in getting to that point by as you said slowly but surely passing things over getting them involved on the journey showing them how you go about it that can really help them so what i want to know from you then is what can people listening to this do or what do you think the best people do when it comes to doing that transition really well so i might be someone right now that supported kane on the resourcing da, 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 but now i need to start doing my own bd activity i need to start growing my own accounts what do the the best recruiters do well on that point do you think or what do you think people should be doing this podcast is proudly partnered with vincherry the recruitment operating system for your front, middle, and back office. So I recently recorded a podcast with James Layton from the Anderson James Group, which will be out really soon. And as part of our conversation, we got into the topic of the best tools that he's invested in so far in his business journey. And guess what? Vincherry was up there and also Sourcebreaker was. But in this very short snippet, you're going to hear why James is so happy to be a Vincherry customer. And look, who's better to tell you about their product and why you should be considering Vincherry as your operating system partner than their customers themselves? Here's what James had to say. 
we implemented Vincere right in the heat of lockdown. We decided that it was the right time. The old system that we used was clunky. I'm a real, real, real believer of Vincere as a system. I must have recommended 20 people to Vincere over the years because I think they're going to change the game. And I can say that wholeheartedly, having used Bullhorn and another product, I can say that Vincere is number one in that world for a growing recruitment business because it's intuitive, it's got intelligence suites, it's got everything that you probably need to... Yeah, it's a whole operating system, not just a CRM, is it? Is this the whole point? Yeah, it's, and yeah. It's, it's brilliant. And they're brilliant. Like, you know, Eloise and the team there, they're, they're great. And they're always there if you need them for anything. Well, at transition stage, it might not be very popular, but the cold calling thing is really, really key because it really does shake that kind of tag that kind of negative sales tag off your shoulders. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's very successful cold calling a business. It's not. Even if I sat down now and picked 10 businesses and cold called, my success rate would be low. However, in your first couple of years, you don't have a brand yet. You don't have a name yet. You can't reference clients where you've put 30, 40 people or projects where you've delivered 50 contractors. I can do that now. So my elevator pitch and my, my credibility is better and I've got references. So it's much easier for me to business develop now. But in year two and three, or year one, two and three, sorry, when I was, I didn't have any reputation really, and I was learning my trade and I had to win my own clients. I did it the old fashioned way, and I would target myself on five BD calls a day where I'd go on LinkedIn, I'd map out the company, I'd say, right, it's a CTO, I need to speak to. I'd go on their website, I'd get all their jobs, I'd pick one that I'd been working recently, I'd ask a candidate, I'm going to try and speak to this client. If they're interested, would you be happy for me to introduce your resume, etc., etc.? And then I'd phone the client an elevator pitch. Now, it's not very successful doing it that way, but by doing that again and again and again and again and again for, you know, 9 to 18 months, after doing that for 9 to 18 months, you have too much business, first of all. You do have enough success because it's a numbers game, but you also turn the word sales into a positive thing and you, you shake off that negative tag and it also helps you value how, how valuable a client is. You, you start to treat clients with more respect because it, it was really hard to win them in the first place. And then because you're thinking more salesy and you're thinking and, you're, and you've started mapping out companies and you're, you're thinking of your elevator pitch and you're trying to join dots, oh, they use Hammerin and oh, they use Kotlin and they use Swift and you start to build a picture of the market, you become more credible. So e- even if your elevator pitch to one mobile app company fails, all that work you've done you then understand, oh, well, they use, they've got a team of seven iOS developers. or You, you start to map the market. Right, market insight. Yeah, so so by doing elevator pitches, as long as you prepare them right, the information you learn through that prep and the kind of guts it takes to make that call in front of the whole office, it becomes second nature, obviously, but the guts it takes to make that first call in front of all your friends and your colleagues and try and win business off someone you've never spoke to, it's a bit of a rush as well. You build credibility because you get to know the market, you learn how to map out a client, you learn how to join dots. It's not the most successful way of doing it, but over time, the, the skills you learn from doing it come in handy over years and years and years. So now I do elevator pitches just all in my head. What does a good elevator pitch look like, mate? To me, it's very short and snappy. You win their trust straight away. You can reference somebody that they know that knows you. You can reference similar clients that you work with. You can reference similar technologies that they're using or projects that they're using. And you know their business inside out. Sometimes you even know people in the business that you placed elsewhere. It's all about being able to reference yourself to technologies and people within their business and their clients. And also kind of justifying why they should speak to you. You should speak to me because I've just placed free iOS developers. You've just won a project with the BBC. 
SKV are my biggest client currently and I, I've delivered their entire mobile team. Just making them realise they need to speak to you above anyone else and making them realise that you can add value to what they're doing because clients need clients need recruiters and a lot of recruiters don't really value themselves. Mm. Clients really need recruiters to grow their business because they'll have pressure to deliver projects, to deliver products and from a shareholder perspective businesses will have pressures to grow so the only way they're going to grow is by recruiting the right people by speaking to me more often than not in the tech space in Scotland I'll help them mm. grow, I'll help them deliver a project and I'll help them deliver their product so the elevator pitch differs yeah, each yeah. time you, you spend 5 to 10 minutes building that out and then you, you tweak it Yeah. What advice would you have for people that struggle to get over that hurdle of spending at least time each week trying to speak to people that they don't know to try and start to build a market pitch all of that, what, what's your advice to help them overcome that? Because I'm sure you've had this in your teams. 100%. Listen, see, picking up the phone and cold calling a client that's never heard of you before. It is daunting. And I found it daunting. Once I got on a roll, I found it exciting. Not everybody adapts to that. To, to pretend to do is, is nonsense. So my advice is find what works for you. If it's networking, great. Go to networking events. If it's branding and you want to build in a LinkedIn, if you want to market yourself to the market... Do it, but do it well. Do you know what I mean? I'm terrible. I'm a technophobe. I'm going through my LinkedIn posts. Uh, not great. I'm not the best marketer, but I'm brilliant at picking up the phone and I'm brilliant at going to events and I'm brilliant yeah. at going over and just introducing myself. Find what's good for you. Some people are brilliant copywriters and mm. they can write great emails. If that's what you're really good at, make sure you're doing a lot of it and make sure you're actually, make sure you're thinking, making your elevator pitches in the email very salesy and very snappy and very unique. So for me the cold calling thing was really, really good because it's very daunting and you don't want to you don't want to feel like a fool, if that makes sense, on the calls. To not feel like when you have to do yeah, your yeah. research, if you know what I mean. Otherwise, you're left holding the phone like, <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> And it's happened to me, by the way. It's hap- And it still does. And, and don't think for a second that it doesn't. So think what works for you. Think what's good for you and do it and do it with good intentions and do it on mass, yeah, yeah. Okay. my advice. So before we move on to the leadership piece then, what obviously you've done contract and perm, obviously involved in teams that do contract and perm. What do you believe, we'll do this for both, right? But what, what do you believe is like the one thing that perm recruiters let's start there need to master to achieve sort of consistent performance and why do you think from your experience yeah perm's a slower process and it's harder to find candidates in my experience so i think process is very important for perm recruiters funnily enough they they need to make sure they're they've got a consistent set process you know advert job boards linkedin you know going through all repeatable processes that know that works that they can do time and time again exactly repeatable processes they know that works and knowing their market as well knowing exactly which clients have which people and really really knowing that market really really well but yeah perm's a slower process and i find it easier to win business in permanent actually so marketing your candidates in permanent is much more important i think because you can take a good perm candidate and market them much easier and because they're harder to find Mm. so it's easier to sell in my in my experience but yeah for process is really really important for perm and taking your time candidates like you've got to remember in perm as well it's it's a big move for a candidate permanent if you're in a role and a recruiter phones you and only gives you one minute of their time or two minutes of their time are you really gonna quit your job i wouldn't I would, I wouldn't quit my job and put my mortgage at risk and my kids at risk. So if you're doing permanent recruitment, please just remember that. Take that seriously, yeah. Yeah, take it seriously. This is, um, this is people's lives we're talking about, and they're, they might have been in this job for 10, 15 years. Contractors, on the other hand, in my experience. Yeah. What, what one thing do contract recruiters really need to master? Do you think to speed. get really, really good speed, urgency, speed. 
hotless and speed. I've placed the same contractors maybe five to six times and I've also been given a contract role on PSLs or where there's two or three of us and it really yeah. is just a race. <laughs> there's maybe 35 people that the free recruiters know and it's just go, 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 go. So the contract contract candidates in my experience, they tend to not want to be on the phone for five, ten minutes. Mm. They, they tend to be limited companies and they tend to be, um, you know, they tend to be like rate, <laughs> location, <laughs> working from home allowance. They tend to be quite short and direct compared to perm candidates. Perm candidates, they're leaving a permanent job for another permanent job usually. Contractors are usually in contract or out of contract. Need to work. So yeah, it's yeah. much more transactional. Especially London might be different because I know the job market moves a lot more down there. But in Scotland, permanent candidates, you know, if, if they're going to move, it's a really, really serious mm. decision for them. So treat it as that. And remember, they're going to they're going to take their time and they're going to review a job spec overnight. Contract candidates can sometimes, you can sometimes get the right to represent on the phone. Always get it by email to avoid a bun fight. But you can sometimes get, yeah, what's the client? What's the rate? Yeah, duration, tech stack. Oh, Oh yeah, I know that person. Yeah, okay, yeah. move forward. You can beat over contract candidates in my experience because it's more transactional. But perm candidates get to—you mean—get to know the name of their dog if you can. I mean, <laughs> just just to tie this all together, then let, let's make it just—I guess—even more current. Like if we think in the last eighteen mm-hmm. months, right, in the journey that you've been on, and I know there's a few sort of quite yeah. sort of exciting changes that you've experienced in, in that time with Bright Purple, right, which we're going to talk about. But like just to sort of focus still on being good at recruitment right now, being successful, consistent performance. Like if you were to look at your teams holistically over the last like 18 months, what, what's been like the most consistent and effective way for your teams to win business, do you think, over the last 18 months? What's really worked, yeah? It's not been hard to win business because we've been in tech. So I, I found that the easiest, around about April time this year, the tech market's boomed more than it's ever boomed. So it's been quite easy to win okay. business, actually. Picking up the phone, going to events. I mean, there's not been many because of COVID, but we were at Scotland IS last week, for example, and we picked up business there. Keep keep doing what you're doing. Just because you're working from home doesn't, I mean, keeping the same work ethic as you had in the office at home is the key, uh, really. But we, we're finding business has not really slowed down. We've not had to do Fair much enough. different than we did before. We're just, we're just finding there's yeah, much yeah. more business out there. Engagement then, we, maybe it's because we hired a, a marketing person, I don't know. Maybe she's directly linked to our recent success, but um, yeah, we're marketing ourselves much better and, and we're easier to find because in tech, everyone's hiring. So we're not finding winning business as a problem right now. We're finding uh, hiring and, and enough yeah, staff yeah, yeah. to keep the growth journey that we hard, yeah. clients on hard. Yeah, and we're finding permanent candidates. I've got lots of offers right now. Okay, cool. So let's go into this leadership sort of journey, right? Because obviously it's a, it's a real big challenge for a lot of people and a lot of people listening to this will aspire to be a director, a leader at some point in their recruitment career. So like what what were some of the things you had to learn the hard way? So let's start there. Like if we were to think in in hindsight, Obviously, you've had to learn the hard way. As you said, you didn't have loads of mentors on the leadership side because a lot of people left. What did you have to learn the hard way? What did you find really difficult, firstly? Let's start there. When we were starting, when Kane had to become more of a leader, a hands-on leader, as you said. Well, not everyone's like me. So when you say that, as in like you were going in, having the mindset, why isn't he doing that? Why isn't she doing that? Because that's what you think you would yeah. do. Okay. So comparing people to your standards, who you are, exactly. what you do, first part. Okay. Exactly. In recruitment, it's, a, it's classic. The, the top performers become managers. Exactly, the top yeah. performers don't always make the best managers. So for me, it was a real journey. I became a top performer through my habits and my way of doing things. So when I tried to impart that on people, um, some people took it and we had similar personalities and it was great. Others others didn't. And um, at first I was really confused. I didn't really know how to manage them. And looking back, I probably have been on a bit of a journey and, and, and I would manage them differently now, if I'm being honest with you. So, In what way would you do differently? 
And what I do now is I ask them, how, how do you want the business develop? How do you want to manage your accounts? Um, why do you want to put them forward? I ask more open questions and, instead of telling them. Instead of going to do it this way. Fair. Yeah, but, but that's all I knew. It's all I knew. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, fair. And I was on a journey as well, so to speak. So I, I tried to kind of impart how I'd done it on them. Um, and they're, they're different people. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm an extrovert. I think that comes across whoever meets me. So managing introverts, I would always be like, oh, just call them. <laughs> or, oh, yeah, just, I'll just do this. And then slowly you learn everybody's really different. And on the, accepting that, accepting that. And now, that, now I have accepted that because I've been in a leadership role for, you know, seven years now. I've managed so many people now. I, I do respect that everyone's different and everyone's got different roles within a team. Whereas before, I just wanted everyone to be... If, if everyone on Bright Purple was like Kane Webster, we'd yeah. be out of business because we'd have no processes. <laughs> the finance team would quit on the day, the PES team would quit on the day. And now I realise that, yeah, my role's great. I get a lot of, you know, like claps and celebrated. But the truth is, I couldn't do my job without, you know, the finance team, the PES team, the resource team, the account management team. So, yeah, realising everyone's got different strengths yeah. earlier in my career yeah. would have been for sure. And what I've learned lately, what, what I touch on it is, and I've only learned this in the last year since I moved into a director role the, the value of a back office oh my god I can't believe how much I undervalued them when I wasn't in a director role and how much I didn't realise they did for the business I feel like I feel like the name needs to change back office like the yeah. I don't know I just feel like the labels like like you said they're behind this they're just behind the scenes they're not I don't know I don't know what the name is but I feel like it has that interpretation of like oh they're just there do they're, they're like they just do the finance whatever but as you said like they're so fucking important for the whole thing Honestly, so important. And, you know, I, I, looking back again, I've probably annoyed them all and I've probably not taken enough time to realise how annoying I yeah, am. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I just throw them a new client or throw them a new contractor or throw them a new perm placement. They're like, well, how do I invoice, Kane? I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I look at it now yeah. and think, oh. So that's a quite common challenge that you've shared. Like, yeah, expecting people to do what you would do. What what else would, did you find challenging then on the leadership journey that maybe you had to work through? When you become a leader or a director or a sales manager, you have to accept people have personal lives. Okay. There's a lot of things that you have to deal with that, that aren't part of your remit, if that makes sense. People have peaks and troughs in their personal life. So you have to remember people have got a work persona and an yeah. out-of-work persona. And sometimes you'd have a top former that would just fall off a cliff. Or you'd have someone that wasn't doing so well just skyrocket. And the reality is that they start telling you things because you've known them for years at points. They start telling you things that are going on in their personal life. And it does end up impacting you. If someone's having a really hard time personally and they confide in you, like, oh, okay, and this has mm. happened in my family. You do carry that around a little bit sometimes. So switching off, and because when you're managing 20 people, 20 sales staff, obviously those 20 people, they're going to yeah. be going through different journeys in life. Some, some will be in a new relationship and will be totally buoyant and totally happy. Others will be going through a divorce. Others will yeah, have a death in the family. Yeah, exactly that. So having gone from like a lone wolf consultant into like managing 20 people, where when, you, when you're managing a team of four or five, it happens every couple of months. Yeah. You have to have like a really heartfelt conversation. But when you're managing 20 sales staff, you, you're having to, having to have those conversations, you know, maybe once a month now. And people have got real lives with real stuff impacting their work. So it's good. Mental health been a big thing lately in the last couple of years and it's really come out so it's been much more open it's been a much yeah, more open yeah. environment to talk about it and ask why someone's not as engaged on the call you know not working yeah. as late, like they used to working as late and not that like they should for example but it's a much more open environment to have that conversation uh, which is a good thing but with that more open conversation as a leader and as a director or as a, a manager you do take yeah. some of it home with you and you do carry some of it around um, so learning to try I'm still trying to switch off uh, after work sometimes to be honest with you it's hard because you mm. care about these people they're your yeah, friends yeah. and your staff so yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So before we go into like the business strategy side of or things you've learned there, just curious. So all the things you're talking about there, all those challenges that you can sort of experience as a hands-on billing manager, all these types of things. What that can also sometimes mean is that you end up earning less money. 
with more responsibility, more headaches. Yeah. I don't know if you're thinking about this at the moment. It's just one of the conversations I've been having with a few people recently. Like, there's no way Bright Purple will get to where they get to without those five people and more people like that in your business, right? When I say to you, how do you think that billing manager, that hands-on billing leader role could be rewarded or like, I don't know, how, how, I don't know, does anything come up for you when we think, how could that person be incentivized in a different way or does anything come up for you on that that you're thinking about of interest? This podcast is proudly partnered with the award-winning Sourcebreaker. And all I wanted to tell you about today is one of their recent, really useful and valuable articles. So a lot of you right now are probably thinking, how can I tap into more talent pools? How can I get more relevant candidates showing up in my searches, whether that's on your CRM, LinkedIn, wherever it may be? Well, this is Sourcebreaker's world. So what they've recently done is published an article called The Power of Search, Five Ways You Can Improve Your Candidate Pool. So in this really short article, you will walk away with five practical ways that you can uncover and find talent that you're looking for that maybe might not show up if you're just using the the current ways of searching and what you're doing. I mean, what they've found from all of the surveys and data that they can look at is like 48% of searches typically contain errors. So if you want practical ways that you can uncover talent that you may be missing, click the link in the show notes, read the power of search, uh, get those tips, walk away with them, start using them, and let us know how you get on with those five tips and if you find some more people. Enjoy. Yeah, yeah. I'm very lucky. So obviously I'm the sales director, but I've got a CEO, Nick Price, who's ran yeah. this business for 26 years. He is an idea factory. So when I say the strategy part is easy, it's because I've got someone just throwing ideas yeah. at me constantly. And all I need to do is pick one of the good ideas because the guy is fascinating. He could have two or three <laughs> great ideas in a day. So all I need to do is pick the one that I want to get behind and go with it. So he comes up with a lot of the strategy, if I'm being honest with you, and I go and execute it. So I find it easy because I've got someone doing that for me and I kind of have to agree with the one, I have to pick the one I agree with most and then go with it. But on the bill and manager side, yeah, you can earn less money for a more stressful job. But at the same time, it is more rewarding. Um, It really is more rewarding. Yeah, but why can't we make that as financially rewarding as it should be? Yeah, so at Bright Purple, we've got a system. So we've we've been dealing with this problem. The five guys and girls you mentioned, they've got personal targets that they're exceeding all the time. And they're also managing a team. However, what we've done is we've incentivized them on their team performance. So as long as they hit their own target and everyone in their team is 70% to target, that way they're not leaving anyone behind. And we might change that in April. I'm constantly looking at ways to think. Because you're right, I I actually definitely see that. But there there is, you do get more reward. I can see that. It's just more of like, most people wouldn't go, it's more rewarding, but I don't feel like why I should sort of financially take like a hit on it. Do you get what I mean? Because that, so I just think it should be more, we should be more innovative with how we can reward those people, you know, or motivate them. I totally agree. Base wage is obvious one. So you get an increase in your base wage. It usually doesn't equate to how much commission you would have made if you were just taking all the time of one-on-ones and training and hiring. Take all that time and put into filling jobs, you might make more in in commission is the truth. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to do quarterly bonuses for our kind of managers where as long as they hit their target, everyone in their team is at least 70% to their target, they'll get a much bigger bonus. That's where we're at today. That'll change in April. We look at it constantly because you're right. Maybe one of the hardest jobs in recruitment, running a team of five or six good recruiters um, is one of the hardest jobs. So yeah. So so let's talk about 
Kane, the sales director then, as, as we come to the end here, one of the most common questions that I get is around, and this, like you said, you, I love the fact that you around your mindset around tech and tools and stuff like that. What have been some of the things you guys have invested in that you think you probably couldn't live without out of interest on the tool side? Yeah, well, I'll shamelessly plug Sourcebreaker. I can't believe I used to have to log into four or five different job boards to look for candidates. Just talk, talk us through like how it's had an impact like in, in like real recruitment life. Why has why it been so good? Well, they came to us and they done a demo and I, it was, we get yeah, pitched yeah. all the time for, for tools. And this was probably two or three years ago and they came and they were like, oh yeah, we aggregate all your job boards. I was like, well, what do you mean? And then they came and they said, look, you take yeah. a job site, total jobs, job service, senior library, S1 jobs. And instead of logging into them all and not having to log in and, you know, like logging in, logging out and sharing and all this kind of stuff, you just log in a source breaker. And I was like, okay, log in. And then they're all there, <laughs> all your job boards in one tab and they mm. don't repeat themselves. So Sourcebreaker has really taken a lot of the kind of double work out of scrolling job boards. We now just use one job. We have lots of job boards which show yeah, on yeah. one job board, i.e. Sourcebreaker. How does that help the guys and girls? And is it on the BD side? Is it candidate side? Is it both? Candidate side, because they're only having right. to log into one platform, Sourcebreaker. And what it does is it puts all the job boards and uh, candidates into right. one format. It's all right. So it's great. So you're, you, instead of logging into five different job boards and seeing yeah, the same. Yeah, yeah. So saving a shitload of time, basically. Yeah. Instead of seeing John Smith on all five job boards and going, oh, I've seen, <laughs> I've seen that name before. Oh, yeah. He's got all there. It's perfect. Also, it builds leads. Now, I personally do most of my BD from kind of like referrals mm. from candidates and I, and I go, where you classic. I work a role when I, when I was hands-on yeah. before the team rip into me if they listen to this I would work a role and I'd get three good candidates send them over textbook recruitment while finding those candidates I'd get where else are you interviewing I'd ask other can candidates and they would tell me and then I would take the candidates that were more suitable for these other clients and I'd approach them in a elevator pitch okay but Sourcebreaker if you're not so good and you don't feel comfortable asking where people are interviewing you can click a button which changes your candidate search into job leads and it brings up all, instead of having to go through competitors, yeah. websites, adverts, and try to figure out who is that financial yeah. service client, instead of having to do that, that kind of inspector mode, you just go to Sourcebreaker and you have the same Boolean search and you type candidates and you type jobs. And it goes, here's all the jobs. Here's all the clients that have jobs matching that job, matching yeah, yeah. that kind of Boolean search. And it's like, I scan our fans. And it's like, God, I don't even have to actually get market leads from talking to candidates anymore. I can literally just <laughs> click a button. So tech yeah, and stuff. So you've really got to move yeah, through yeah, the yeah. Talk to me about one of the other things that's been quite pivotal for you guys is this remote team, right? For the remote team in terms of yeah. the last 18 months. So talk, yeah. talk to us about this journey because I think this is yeah. still a talking point. You're obviously a, a business based in <sighs> Scotland. I know you've had offices in different parts of the world throughout your journey, but talk to us about what you've learned so far, the positives, maybe some of the challenges on you building out this fully remote team, although your your business HQ's in, in Scotland. Yeah, well, I'm, uh, first of all, I'm going to apologise on behalf of uh, the entire world who didn't embrace remote working before. And I was one of those people that didn't think it could work. So I'm just going to apologise on behalf of 90 Yeah, fair. At least you can own that, right? Yeah, I want to apologise on behalf of 90% of directors, even if yeah. they don't know they should apologise. <laughs> Pre-COVID, I was a sales director, and if you'd asked me, can we run this business remotely, I would have laughed. I just would have laughed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, good one. Yeah, whatever. As if. And then COVID taught us we could. And luckily, my finance director, Gemma Brown, and the CEO, Nick Price, they were probably of the same opinion. Gemma Brown was a bit more forward-thinking than me and Nick, but we just didn't think you could work remotely. And we were constantly going to board meetings, constantly saying, let's yeah. grow this business. And then, how are we going to grow it? Well, we're going to hire more recruiters. What are we going to offer them? We're going to offer them five days a week in Edinburgh, nine till five. 30, <laughs> the same as what everyone else is offering, exactly the yeah, same. Exactly the same. Then we come back three months later and go, how many staff have we hired? <laughs> Two. But we said we'd hire ten. Ah, well, we interviewed ten. Those ten had, you know, six 
other offers. And what were they offering? They were offering 905 office based Edinburgh, 30k base, and 30k target. And shock horror, we couldn't yeah. grow. We just couldn't grow. We, and, and looking back, it's absurd, yeah. isn't it? It's just absurd. Like the definition of insanity yeah, is yeah. doing the same thing and expecting a different result. We were every board meeting going in saying we want to grow. We had full intentions of growing and we were going out and we were, you know, hiring, but we were, we were hiring maybe, we were growing by maybe 5% yeah, yeah. a year, like in terms of staff. And it's because we were making this requirement of you have to be in the office at nine. And if you're five minutes late, I mean, we weren't that bad. We weren't draconian. But, you know, if you're five minutes late, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, it, it wasn't, it was an option for you guys. You didn't, it wasn't. I never even, so what, what have you, what have you learned so far? What have you learned so far then since going down this path? I've learned. The full remote team? I'm, I'm learning retention of staff is much higher. We, we're not really, people aren't really resigning from. Okay. Retention's key. What's the point in hiring five staff if you lose five staff? What's the point? You're not going. Yeah, yeah. So retention. What about, what about productivity? Yeah. Productivity is good. Results are good. I, I would say people, okay. I would, it's funny because when you worked in the office, I look back to it and I think, God, um, we're like, we're, our results are better than ever. So people are working the hours they need to work to get the job done. Whereas when you're in the office, I, I remember on Fridays, even, even when I was sales director and sales manager, team lead or consultant, on a Friday at three, we weren't really working. We were, working, we, yeah. we were, we were, we were just having banter, slagging each other off. Sometimes on a Thursday afternoon, we maybe down tools. Like, like looking back, it was draconian. It was, but whether we liked to admit it or not, we were, we were not working. We were not in the office to work. We were in the office because we were contracted to be there nine to five. So what I found is productivity has increased because I would, I would suggest on average people might be doing slightly less hours if you include travel so productivity is increased if you include travel but people are, are working smarter people are working when suits them people are getting a job and, mm. and they're working it there and then and then they're getting up late the next morning and starting later what about some challenges so far then like i think one of the biggest question marks is with this team do we feel like we we can cultivate a bright purple culture i mean the remote team yeah, the remote team, the remote team, sorry, yeah. Like, what's been... Because I think that's what a lot of people are thinking about. Just to give you a bit of context, I mean, we are 80% remote even in Scotland, so we've got an office in Edinburgh. Which is, like, really flexible, people can come in. Yeah, you know, if you want to take, for example, if you want to take your ch child to a swimming class, uh, 10 to yeah, 11, yeah. just let your line manager know and make up the hour. We're, we're quite flexible. Yeah. And as long as you're in office one day a week to try and keep that culture going for now, we will look at that again in April next year, I think. But right now it's one day a week. So we are quite flexible across the board and we're 80% remote across the board. The 100% remote team, though, to answer your question directly, we went down to London last week or the week before and we got them all together. We went on a speedboat down the Thames. That was brilliant. And we got them together. We have them in weekly wash-ups. We're, they're coming up to Edinburgh for the Christmas party. Okay, so it's like creating moments like that then and making the effort. Yeah, well, funny you say that. Both of the people that joined the remote team, Stuart and Umar, they had other offers from other recruitment agencies. And the reason they joined Bright Purple is because we came down from Edinburgh. I got a train down to London, then I went down to Bromley South to meet Stuart, had dinner, and then he accepted our offer and turned down another one. And then I rented a car and drove to Leicester, met Umar, who's brilliant as well, with Renata, who's the head of the remote resourcing team. Mm. And he had another offer. I, I won't, I'm not going to name the names of these other. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And he he ended up choosing us over them, and, and both of them said you actually took the time to come down and and you know meet meet me and actually show me that you cared. The other recruitment agencies didn't do that. So the lesson for us is we're going to keep doing that. Every time I go to a meeting in London, I'm going to make sure the remote team meet me there. Um, every time there's a big event, like a Christmas party or an Edinburgh Fringe event or an end of year social, mm. we'll pay for them to come up and we'll get them a hotel and, and we'll, we will make an effort yeah. because staff retention is the key in all recruitment agencies. It really, really is. Like you 
you said in those board in those board meetings, you didn't say how can we keep all the people we have. You said how can we get ten more people? Do you get what I mean? Spot on. So I think uh, you're completely spot right. Spot on, and that is changing. Like the, the world is moving in a bit a better direction with that. I mean, there's a great graph. I mean, it's like how much you value something when you have it, and it's like down here, like four out of ten. When you don't have it, and it's so true. And I constantly yeah. remind myself of that. Do you know what I mean? If I if I was interviewing some of my leadership team now, or some of my good consultants and senior consultants and principals and good resourcers, etc., I'd be I'd be biting their hand off. We try to get them in the business as fast as I can. So I constantly remind myself of that graph of like how much you value something when you have it versus how much you value something when you don't. So yeah, te- retention is key. Love it. So. As we finish then, what's on the bright purple horizon, mate? What are you excited about? Talk to us before we finish. What's what's going on? Oh, tomorrow, obviously we had our kind of remote day away in London last week. Tomorrow we're going to Dundee with the with the kind of the Scottish based recruiters. We're going up to Dundee. Wet and okay. wild. We're going on a wet and wild assault course, and we're going for a curry after that. We did a, we did a staff survey. So basically, what drives us is our staff survey, and our staff survey told us we, we give Christmas and New Year off for free. So they told us they want. So we gave them their birthday off for free next year, and they also said they, with remote working they want more kind of team building exercises. So we are investing a lot of time and effort and money into if we're not going to meet each other, you know, every day in the office, and we're only going to see each other once a week or maybe less because they're not all in the office at the same time. Mm. Let's really get creative. So we've got we've got wet while tomorrow in Dundee we've got um, a big Christmas party coming up which I won't say just now in case the team here because Gemma Brown's working on it when we're, <laughs> the remote team will be coming up for that which I'm really excited about we all get together and then in February we're doing the Great Gatsby Ball on a Saturday night which we're all doing We've downsized our office because of remote working and flexibility and we're taking the money saved in that office and we're investing it. Investing it into, yeah. Exactly that. So there's an event almost every month or every second month for Bright Purple right now to keep that culture going that you talked about and and to keep the remote team Mm. engaged. And the good thing about the remote team is we can scale up as quick as we want now because because we're hiring fully remote we can scale this business up as quick as our clients demand I mean we've got five we've got five offers out right now with consultants because of remote flexible working mm. and we've got no one resigning <laughs> so it's really really yeah. having that remote team just it buys us that bandwidth to grow as quick as we want so I'm, I'm really just really excited what, what's on the horizon is yeah, yeah I can tell hopefully I can people, tell yeah hopefully people are going to accept the offers we've got out with them hopefully not going to make too much of a fool of myself in this wet and wild assault course tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> and, and hopefully I don't get too drunk at the Christmas party that that's basically on my horizon well look no Kane um, it's been an absolute pleasure love your energy love your positivity I think there's there's loads to take away from here from chucking yourself into it perseverance working out what works for you just yeah creating your own luck being willing to get out of your comfort zone try different things be open-minded but yeah honestly thanks so much for coming on the pod Really excited to see where you guys are in, over the next couple yeah, of years. Yeah, th- thank you for having me. And and the last bit of advice I give to, to anyone listening to this on the start of their journey is stick in. Genuinely stick in at what you're doing. Some, sometimes you'll feel like you're not doing that well, but you don't know how well other people are doing. And, and it is a journey. It really, really is a journey. So stick in at what you're doing and, and, and believe in yourself. There's lots of successful recruiters out there. It's very, very achievable. Yeah, I love it. Kane, thank, thank you. Thank you. All the best. Bye. Well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? If you have enjoyed the podcast, 
podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform. That will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms. And we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast.